One of the most popular verses being quoted today is this verse I have up here from Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's used at graduations to encourage students as they embark on a new chapter of their life. It's used to try to encourage people who are struggling with some situation in life. It's used in a multitude of ways. I didn't do that. Really? It's used in a multitude of ways, but almost every time I see it used, it's used out of context. So let's look at the entire passage. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 and 11. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This was given to the Jews as a promise as they were being carried off to Babylon. And we know from the story they're going to be there 70 years. We also know that it wasn't just, hey, y'all come over to my house and play. Okay? It was... um, It was not a bed of roses. They were shamefully treated, carried off in chains. So that doesn't sound to me like plans for good and not for evil. Does it to you? Okay. The ultimate outcome, though, would be good as it is in all things. We get this from Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 where he says... And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, the modern New Age teachings within the church are all about having your best life now. Okay, that's where they tend to go. Health and prosperity are the goals. Is there anything wrong with wanting to be well and have money? Absolutely not. But when it becomes the focus of your life, when health and prosperity becomes the focus of your life, you're about to go off the rails spiritually. Like Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Now, the word cannot in the phrase cannot serve God in money means impossible, not illegal. I know I've explained that to you before, but it's important to our understanding. We have a problem with the word can in our English, in our English language. We use it indiscriminately, so it gives us a big problem. If I say you cannot drive at 100 miles an hour out here on the highway, that may be true but it's not accurate because it's certainly possible to do so. You can drive 100 miles an hour on the highway. 
but it's illegal and dangerous. So we should say, you may not drive 100 miles an hour, but we don't talk that way anymore. Okay? Can fits everything. Uh, we've still got teachers, and I was one of them, who when a, when a student comes up and says, can I go to the bathroom? It's, I don't know, can you? That was the answer. Because trying to get them to, it just doesn't work. It doesn't happen. We're not going to do that. We're not going to go to May. But it's the idea of permission. Jesus was not talking about permission to serve God or money. He wasn't saying it's just not acceptable but possible. No, he said it is impossible. And I get that from the Greek language that's there. That's what, that's what the words mean when he says him there. We have the same thought from one of our Bible study verses this week that we had on Thursday. In 1 John 2.15, we read, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's a one or the other situation. You can't have both. <clears throat> okay, now that might have been a bit of a digression from the thoughts about God's plan for us. But the verse quoted from Jeremiah that is so popular states that God does not desire anything evil for us. Yet when we look around the world, we see all manner of evil. Don't we? Is God responsible for that? It's a good question. Theological question. Consider this verse from Isaiah, chapter 45 and verse 7, where he says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Now, this verse says rather plainly that God is behind darkness and calamity. How does that work? <clears throat> Allow me to give you a very weak illustration. It's weak, but maybe it'll help. If I build a wall across this room, all I've done is built a wall, but I have created two rooms. My intention, my focus was on building a wall. The result was two rooms. Now this goes to our understanding of that everything is known by its opposite. We know light because of darkness. We know heat because of cold. So there's no question that this question of God being associated with evil is a tough one for us to wrap our minds around. That's, that's a given. <laughs> it just doesn't fit, fit our thinking. There's a multitude of problems associated with taking either side. Either that God is not involved in evil or that he is. No matter which way you go, you're going to come up with some problems. But our scripture lesson this morning came from Job. And we all know the terrible troubles that he endured. Okay? His story is given to show us that we are to remain steadfast in our devotion to God, regardless of what is happening in our life, regardless of whether we can answer the bigger questions about certain events. So Job said, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. 
Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, Job's wife had just asked him to curse God and die. She said, well, why don't you just curse God and die? This stuff is miserable. It's too much for us to bear. They had lost their family. They had lost their fortune. And she was asking him to lose his faith. But near the end of Job's story, which we read this morning, he makes this incredible statement where he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now, often we are not able to discern God's purpose in the things we see around us or in the things we experience. All we can see is that which is directly in front of us. This is bad or this is good. Regardless of what our thoughts may be at the time, or even our actions, his purposes will not be stopped. Have you ever shaken your fist at God? Many have, and many more probably will. In one form or another, every, probably each one of us has gotten so frustrated, well, God, what is this all about? Okay, that's shaking your fist at God. What does God do with that? Hmm. He just kind of looks down, smiles benevolently at you, knowing that you don't have the whole picture, but it's all going to be okay. We might not understand, but he knows. He has a purpose in all things, whether we can see it or not. And for most of us, when we've gone through stuff, we see the purpose later on. We're given assurances from Scripture that God has it all under control regardless of what we see. Now, one of the general purposes of negative things happening in our life is given in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 27. The writer of Hebrews says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Turmoil, trials, tribulation in your life have the express purpose of shaking you up. That's what they're there for. Because we tend to get really we tend to get really comfy when things are going well. Okay? We become slack in our higher devotions. What my story has been that as things are going well, I begin to coast. I begin to coast on the level that I'm at, kind of not pursuing God with as much diligence as I did when I was trying to get out of my struggle. We tend to just rest on the level that we've reached. But what happens in that place is that our hearts begin ever so slowly to turn away from the Lord and begin to turn towards those things that I mentioned, health and prosperity, Now, that's usually when something occurs to wake us up. 
And that wake-up call is usually in the form of something that we would call negative or even evil. Now notice that the verse in Hebrews says that the shaking occurs for a reason, a purpose. The reason is to remove those things that are not solidly a part of God's purpose for you. The Jews were carried off into Babylon because they had failed to maintain their devotion to God. The whole reason for the 70 years captivity? Because they had neglected to let the land rest like they were supposed to. They had become comfortable with God's blessings. So being taken captive would certainly be considered evil by most people when all of a sudden you no longer have the freedom to go where you want to do, do what you want to do. Now children may think that getting spanked is evil. But when handled by loving parents, it has a higher purpose than just the momentary pain on the butt. As the writer of Hebrews also says, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And those who respond to the discipline of the Lord, it reaps a bountiful life. So discipline has a purpose. In its first form, it is always a negative experience. Okay? I don't think there's a single athlete that enjoys the first day of spring training. It hurts. And it's like the coaches know that we've been slack. So they pour everything into that first day. And we don't get to sleep at night for the pain. Now, when a negative circumstance occurs, we may try to pray our way out of it. We may try to make positive confession to get out of it. We may join a different group or a different church looking for something to encourage us. We may move, hoping that a new location will improve our circumstances. But there's a truth that we need to remember. Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. It's still you. So whatever you say... Whatever you do, that's where God is. He hasn't left you. You haven't left him. As the psalmist said, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So you may move, you may change location, you may change your name, change your identity, but when God's after you, I think it was uh, Charles Spurgeon who called him the hound of heaven. Okay? He's after you. God's purposes for you cannot be thwarted, cannot be changed, cannot be stopped. The best thing we can do when we find ourselves in a tough spot, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but the best thing we can do is to rest and go with it. 
My daughter learned while living in the tree for more than two years that during a storm, it was better for her to bend with the tree than to try to fight the wind. Where Gracie and I moved from on the Gulf Coast, a rip current was common. A rip current can come up quickly without warning and sweep you out to sea. Just, you're gone. The only safe thing to do in that place is to relax and let the current take you out. That goes against completely against your survival instinct to fight. But if you'll do that, then you'll have the strength to make it back to shore. If you're fighting that current, which is much stronger than you, I've been in one in Africa, they're pretty nasty. But if you fight it, you lose your strength to get back to shore. So the only thing to do is let go, rest. So is God's plan for you good and not evil? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. But does that mean that life will always be pleasant? No, absolutely not. (laughs) Okay, it does not. As Job said, Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? That idea of receive is accept it, take it, it's there. Now I know that it's almost impossible for us to wrap our minds around some of the trials that show up in our life. Some can be quite severe, stretching us beyond our limits. No question about that. So I don't want anything that I've said this morning to be misconstrued as life is a piece of cake or trials is a piece of cake. They're not. Trials can be pretty heavy, pretty devastating. However, let me try to leave you with a thought that maybe will make you smile. One of my favorite phrases in the Bible is, it came to pass. That phrase is used 452 times in the Bible. It came to pass that he went there. It came to pass that she said this. It came to pass that he did this, that, and the other thing. But it came to pass. It didn't come to stay. Your trials do not come to stay.